Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, for you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. good to see everybody, uh, especially those that have come back. Uh, my prayer is that as you leave, you leave refreshed and renewed, that you'll go back to wherever you came from your campuses and really succeed, uh, do well for his glory. Uh, we're continuing on with Genesis, and today we are going through chapter 30, uh, 31. And in chapter 31, uh, we come to an interesting point here and in, in Jacob's life. And not many people review it. Not many people may know exactly all the details about it. But I think it's important that we do. Uh, I have three points for today's sermon. And the first point is confession is not conversion. Second one is taxation without representation. And third one is leading by following. Confession is not conversion. Taxation without representation and leading by following. Confession is not conversion. Uh, In the earlier chapter, in chapter 30, Laban goes up to Jacob and he goes, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. This is his uncle going to Jacob and saying, I've learned by divination, by other means, that the Lord is with you. Name your wages and I will give it. This is what uh, Laban confesses. He also says later on in this chapter, uh, so in verse 29 he says, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban is actually familiar with God and his work and his providence with Jacob. But what is the problem then? 
The problem is that even though Laban testifies with his own mouth that God's blessing on him through Jacob is confessed through his mouth, uh, it doesn't translate to a conversion in his heart. Just because you confess it, it didn't translate a conversion in your heart or Laban's heart. And what Laban does is he continues to cheat Jacob over and over again. He continues to implicitly defy God and his plan for Jacob. You might be wondering, wait, isn't it somewhere in the Bible that says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved? So isn't confession somehow connected to conversion? And that might be the first thing that might come up to your head because you know what? We grew up in church. We know a little Bible here and there, and it does say that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then there's a second part. There's a conjunction add, and it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this Roman, uh, no, I'm sorry, this Greek word, pisteus, that's used to say believe occurs, this uh, form only occurs twice, pisteusis, and um, it's also in John chapter 11, verse 40, where he, Jesus says to Martha, when Lazarus was dead, Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you, pisteusis, did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, what we have here is what's translated as believe also means to have confidence in, to trust in. You know, we can confess with our mouths, but the conversion of the heart happens when we trust in God. And the question is, today as we begin, do you trust in God? Otherwise, what would happen then? All of us here, we're used to confessing. We're used to saying things with our mouths. But otherwise, if you confess and there is no conversion, it seems to me that we are like Laban. We will then find ourselves on the opposing side of God. What is the side of God? Well, it's written in this book. But on this topic, God says to Jacob, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you in verse 12. What did Laban do to Jacob? And this brings me to my next point, taxation without representation. This phrase is generally uh, given uh, credit to and attributed to James Otis, and it reflected this, uh, the resentment that the American uh, colonists had because they were taxed by the British. You know, this is like US history. But what happened was they were taxed by the British, but they didn't get any elected representatives. So you got taxed, but you couldn't get represented in the United States. So the whole anti-British slogan that was put out before the American Revolution is taxation without representation is tyranny. Taxation without representation is tyranny. Before that, the American colonists were very proud to be British. 
they weren't just tolerant of its rule. And when the king or the parliament decided to tax, you know, sugar and things of that sort um, to help Britain pay for the wars that they had, uh, the Americans' dissent kind of started to grow. In the similar way, in verse 7, Jacob says, Laban has changed my wages or cheated him ten times. It's an expression that the Hebrew language has to mean that you've been cheated over and over again. It wasn't the first time Laban duped him um, when, this, when this recent event happened. In fact, we know from the very beginning, Laban duped him when he switched brides with him. He put in uh, Rachel's sister Leah instead of Rachel when he promised Rachel. And that was just the beginning. Ever since then, you see a picture and a story of Laban not treating Jacob like a son-in-law or even a nephew, but more like a slave. And maybe we have family members that are like that. Maybe we, 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 this past Thanksgiving, you go to your house and or you have Thanksgiving and some people just don't think of you as uh, good enough. And that would be the feeling Jacob had. He asks Laban, finally, give me my wages, which is basically saying, stop treating me like a slave. And then Laban slyly asks, in the chapter right before, he slyly asks Jacob, oh, then what are your wages? And then Jacob responds, just give me the blemished ones. You know what? I don't even want the best ones, Laban, uncle or father-in-law. You know, he's connected in so many ways. But then Laban is, is really, really taking advantage of this relationship. So Jacob, after working tens of years for Laban without any pay, finally goes, give me some pay. Give me my wages. I am not your slave. And Laban goes, oh, what should I pay you? And Jacob goes, only give me the ones that have marks on them, the blemished ones. You know, not even the pretty ones. The ones with stripes and streaks and spots and things that no one really wants. Just give me that. And Laban goes, done. I'll do it. And this is what Laban does right after he says done. He takes all the blemished, uh, like sheep and goat, and he gives them to his sons. And then he goes, go and march three days away from this camp. No, that seriously is what happened. He goes, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll, I'll pay your wages. You can take all the spotted and freckled and whatever, uh, whatever sheep and goat you want. Is that your wages? You got it. And then off on the side, he goes to his sons here. Take all these speckled and spotted sheeps, and I want you to march away three days. So what would happen? And Jacob goes through, and what happens? Time and time again, you see here Laban taking advantage of Jacob, his very own son-in-law, his nephew, his blood-related relative. And so Jacob decides to tell Leah and Rachel. And when he tells Leah and Rachel, this is how they respond in verse 14. They go, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. 
All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And so even his own daughters, once, he became, once they became Jacob's wives, he didn't even treat them properly. In fact, he took advantage of them and kept on taking away from them. And you see here, God is the one that has given Jacob this dream, saying this is what's going to happen. And you saw in the previous chapter that when they mated, what happened was when these strong uh, sheep or goat, when they mated, the speckled offspring came out. Striped offspring came out. And here Jacob gives that credit to the Lord, saying the Lord gave me this dream, saying I would, this would happen to me. So this is the thing about Christians that we have to understand. We are in a society that has people more powerful than us, richer than us, that want to take advantage of us. And you know what? If there is no one to step in for us that is as powerful or more powerful, then we will always be this way. There's always ways of manipulation. There's ways of distorting information. And nowadays, a lot of our young people, you guys are here today, how much do you trust what we thought was fact? Fact. I mean, in fact, I had, um, had a discussion with my family members, and I don't know how your Thanksgiving was, but when I have Thanksgiving, my family members and I have really interesting discussions sometimes Sometimes we just enjoy food, which I really look forward to. And then all of a sudden, one of my cousins or something would come in with a conspiracy theory like, 9-11 didn't happen. And I'm, uh, oh, I don't know where to start with you. So uh, let's, let's start from the very beginning, you know. Um, and so we'd have this discussion and then we'd bring about. But I would see a lot of young people now don't trust what we thought was facts to be facts. Well, you know, it, this could have happened. Well, the government could have done this, could have done that. And then you would have a discussion. And so if you don't trust in any of the information that is coming to you because you believe that it's manipulated, then how do you have any hope in the world? How do you have any uh, grasp on this is true? This is what I can stand on. This is what I can believe and move forward. Because if you can't step on anything, you can't move forward. You need to have some kind of solid and firm foundation or ground to propel yourself. And so I've realized that, wow, this is a very interesting time for us. In fact, I honestly do believe that this, this is what has affected not just America, not just our presidential election. You guys, this has been going on all around the world in every country, even Greece or South Africa, where they have elections and they continue to purport misinformation. They put truth with lies and they mix it up and people don't know what to believe. People are like, I don't even know how to vote. What is the truth? So what is the truth? Even though all these things were happening around Jacob, there is one line, one stream that comes that gets him grounded. You have to realize Jacob was not a very manly man. This is not someone who was confident. This is not someone who was proactive or assertive and saying, I'm going to do this. Never in his life did he do that. 
It was always someone had to go to his mom saying, you have to deceive your father. And him going twice, I don't think it's going to work. And him finally getting kicked out of his own house because he couldn't defend himself against his brother. Him going to Laban and getting duped over and over and over again. What all of a sudden changed that he would go to Rachel and Leah and say, I am going to leave. I'm going to finally stand up. See, there was this stream. There was this power that was coming to Jacob. And he finally grabbed it. What is that? And that is God. In verse 13, God says to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. This leads me to my third and final point. We lead by following. We lead by following. This is the first time we see in the Bible Jacob taking a stand and actually leading. It's because he finally had a firm foundation to stand on. If you can't trust anything in this world, God is saying, I am the one that you can trust. I am the firm foundation that you can propel yourself forward from. And mind you, this is Jacob we're talking about. This man is extreme Stockholm Syndrome. He is Stockholm Syndrome to a terrifying degree. And this, this is the kind of situation that we're in. I'm glad I have this slave driver because actually it might be worse out there. It's all this desert. You know, how am I going to survive? I don't even have that much. I can't survive on my own. But God shows Jacob, I am on your side. He brings Jacob to himself. And so what is it like to be on the side of God? There's two things that we can learn to be on the side of God. And this is what we can uh, kind of glean from the passage. And number one is this. Don't be like Laban. I know it's kind of obvious, but seriously, don't be like Laban. Be hospitable. Open your homes. Open your wallet. Open your heart to those outside your circle. Otherwise, we are only keeping relationships on the sole benefit of personally gaining. And what happens is that is done at the expense of others, like Laban. Don't be like Laban. Open your homes. Open your wallet. Open your heart to those outside your circle. One thing I am very proud of as an American is that we are people that open up our homes and our country to other people, especially those that are suffering in this world. I want to read you a poem that many of you might find very familiar. This poem reads like this, not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, not with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, mother of exiles, 
From her beacon hand that glows worldwide welcome, her mild eyes command. The air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame, keep ancient lands your storied pomps, cries she. With silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge, refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. After reading this, you probably do recognize it. It's the poem by Emma Lazarus, which was placed beneath uh, the, the Statue of Liberty. So, I don't know, many of you grew up here. When I was a kid, I had my class trip to the Statue of Liberty too. And this was there. But as I continue to read the Bible and I continue to see what God wants from us is, number one, don't be like Laban. We are people called to hospitality, to be hospitable to others. Even though it would hurt us a little bit, bring us some kind of discomfort, we are to do that. And what happens is both parties benefit. If you truly trust that God will be with you, then you will see that God has commanded us to be hospitable so that he can bless us. Number two. So number one is don't be like Laban. Be hospitable. Number two, don't just confess. Don't just confess. Stop just saying it with your mouth. But believe. Trust in God. He is the only one that can. Trust reveals itself in your actions. When you trust God, things happen. Your life and your actions start to change. How can I trust God? How is God trustworthy though? Can I fully place my trust in him? And when someone comes to you and says, Believe me. Trust me. Believe the words that are coming out of my mouth. When someone says that to you, how can you trust that person? I'll tell you how. It depends on what kind of collateral they put up. What they did in the past, but what they are putting up as collateral. So what has a person who says to you, trust me, what have they put up as collateral? That's how you know you can trust them. God puts up Jesus as collateral. It's like, whoa, collateral? That's kind of a strong word, isn't it? No, it's actually not. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, he, the author writes this, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus has become the collateral, the guarantee that we can trust in God and be good. We can trust in him and we're solid because of this collateral that has been put for us. That's incredible. What kind of collateral is Jesus? What kind of guarantee is Jesus? What kind of worth does the Godhead have? What has been given to us isn't a monetary value. It isn't something that can be measured by the things and the standards of this world. What has been given to us is of infinite value, meaning we cannot measure it. There's nothing in this world that can measure it. But guess what? We continue to sell ourselves out to the things that can be measured. But here we have the guarantee that is of infinite wealth and worth. 
This is the guarantee that we have received as Christians. That is why we can trust in God in every area of your life, your future, your major, your career, the person that you want to marry, your children, your retirement, your life here on earth. God is saying, I have made a covenant with you. I will keep you. I will bless you. You are on my side. How do you know this? I have put up a guarantee. And that guarantee isn't cheap. It doesn't come easy. That guarantee is of infinite worth and he's been given to us. That is insane. That's crazy. But it's true. And this is who we are. How does it show ourselves in our actions? And just like Jacob, we respond to God when he leads us. That's why we're going independent. That's why we're saying God is leading us. We're going to go independent, you guys. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It means we are going to be our own church. We're going to have our own government. We're going to use the money that we give here in our offering to build this community and to help others. It means a lot of things. But it really means that we are trusting in God when he leads. And this is where God is leading us. And he is sending us people that love him, that want to follow him. Look at even today, we celebrated new members because God is igniting a passion within this church. When we follow him, it is exciting. And so finally, I want to say, when you trust in God, you pray. When you trust in God, you pray. Everyone should have received uh, a bulletin. And inside your bulletin, you would have uh, these prayer days. Yeah, you, it's all good. You can take it out. And while I was putting this together, I was really thinking about our church. And I mentioned this last week. But imagine, imagine, just imagine, all of us, the first thing that we do when we wake up isn't to check our phones and the notifications. Believe you, me, I do that. First thing I do when I wake up, oh, I wonder what kind of emails I have. Who texted me while I was sleeping? Those bums that might have woken me up. The first thing that I do is check the phone. But imagine all of us together, as we are following God, the first thing that we do isn't to check our phones. The first thing that we do, well, first shut off your alarm, sure, but the first thing that you do is you take this piece of paper and all of us as a church, we are going to pray together. It only takes five to 10 minutes to read this. Seriously, it only does. And five to 10 minutes, I can't believe I'm saying this, is, is so little compared to what we are going to receive. But because it's not a bargain, this isn't us bargaining, but this is us following and being with God. And so every week I'm going to print out the next weeks. We're going to start this Tuesday. The date should be written there. But imagine, how exciting is this so that we can do this together? Waking up together as a church, 
participating in this road to independence. This is where God is leading us. He has plans for us to prosper, not fail. And so we would wake up, we would read, and we would pray for our church together every day, 40 days. And then we're independent. I would love for us to start this way. So I encourage you, if you haven't gotten one of these, take, take them uh, back to where you're going. And if you are going to college uh, or you're going to be away for a week or two, I will email them to you. I will. I'll type them up. I mean, I type these up, but I will email it to you. And you, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. So if you're from college and you're going away campus soon, uh, sign up in the back and I'll email it to you every Sunday. What we are going to do is we're going to wake up Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and read these things. But Wednesday, I'm going to encourage you to come here and pray and we're going to do this together. Wednesday, just like we did in Bible studies. So if you look at Wednesdays, it's a little different. There's a part where we share and things like that. And if you're on campus, I want you to do it together too. So all you people in Rutgers, or if you're in a campus with known pilgrim people, or you can invite others to join you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pilgrim, but you can invite others to join you and read it on Wednesday. On Sunday, however, I will not give out this sheet because on Sunday we're going to put it up here. I'm going to invite a lay leader to lead us in that prayer. So Sunday we're going to do it all together here. You know what? I want to say it's exciting to follow God. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say there wouldn't be bumps on the road, and there has been over the last couple of years while we try to go independent. But you guys, it's finally there. It's around the corner. Some of you have been with me for nine, ten years, and we've been struggling to finally go independent, and it's finally around the corner. God is leading us. He is good. It's time for us to get excited, but... I want us to be, get excited about the right things. When we wake up, the first thing we do is pray. Oh man, that gets me excited. Imagine the things God can do in our church. Imagine the whirlwind of things that can happen as God leads every single person here in this room. And I'm excited for that. So my, that was my final point. Don't just confess, but believe. Trust in God. He is worthy. And when we trust in him, he calls us to pray. He calls his people all to pray. So let's pray together at this time. I want to ask that you would all consider these two points. What is it to be on the side of God? And according to this passage, we saw, number one, we are to be hospitable, to open our homes, our wallet, our heart, especially to those outside our circle. And number two, to trust in God. He is the only one that is worthy to be trusted in. He is the only one that can and so why don't we take this time to lift our hearts to the Lord, asking him to make us more like him, asking him to give us faith. Let's pray.